everybody, Tyler Smith here. Uh, more than one lesson, mini-sode, I think 39, I don't remember, because um, I think I wrote down the wrong thing. Only one way to find out. Yes, we are, I am correct. Number 39, uh, as, uh, as you might remember from a couple weeks ago, we are recording this right after the, our last mini-sode about The Departed. Uh, but before we get into that, I do want to say thank you to uh, Morgan Lott for being a guest last week. Um, it was really fun talking to him, and hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed the things that he had to say. So, okay, look, we, we got to jump right into this because we, uh, we don't have a lot of time. Uh, so we are going to be talking about, and incidentally, we have done a full episode about this best picture. So... We're going to try not to repeat ourselves too much and try to keep the, the time a little short. So if you want to hear more about uh, our feelings about Paul Haggis's crash, uh, you can seek out the full episode. It's very long. The companion film is Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. I'm fairly proud of that episode, so feel free to seek it out. Uh, as it is, um, Paul Haggis's crash won Best Picture uh, – for the year 2005, which I think was actually a very, very good movie year. And uh, it is largely considered one of the worst best pictures. Um, and I totally understand why it surprised people when it won best picture. Um, mm. I believe uh, there's a story in which Jack Nicholson was presenting picture. And when he said crash, as everybody's getting up to go receive it, he said into the mic, whoa, like he, it was an audible thing. Yeah. Um, and Hey, who knows why he said it? I have a theory <laughs> that he was at the very least, let's say, let's, let's, let's go, uh, let's go unforgiven and say deserves got nothing to do with it. That's a line from unforgiven. Um, maybe he was just surprised because everybody was surprised. Could be um, Josh Long here, by the way. Oh yeah, sorry, I forgot to throw it to Josh Long. <laughs> I think we were we so. just finished up doing another minisode, so it feels like we yeah. are. It feels like a continuation. Yeah, I I also wanted to maybe save time by not bringing Josh into the episode, but he is here that and now he's introduced time. himself. So um, yeah, sorry about that. So okay, Crash one best picture. The Academy considered of. The movie year 2005 crash was the best one. It is ridiculous to say. <laughs> I will say there are things of it. There, there are aspects about the film that I stand by and that I think are genuinely good. Mm -hmm. There are scenes in the film that I think are remarkably powerful. It is not a terrible film. I'm not sure if I would even say it's a bad film. There are bad things about it mm -hmm. and it does not deserve to win best picture. Certainly not this year, but I don't think it is overall a bad and certainly not a terrible film because there's enough good people working in it that I feel like they're able to transcend certain uh, bad things about it. That's mm -hmm. my personal opinion. The fact that I don't hate it puts me in the minority in the film snob community. <laughs> um, but to me, there are scenes that cannot be argued with as just inherently powerful. Mm -hmm. um, so I will quickly talk about some of the things that I like about the film. I think the acting by and large is very good. Not in all cases. Some of the, some of the actors are playing kind of broad. 
I don't think it's necessarily their fault. I think that their characters are written very broad. But I think certain – and that's the thing. Uh, Matt Dillon was nominated for supporting actor for playing a uh, racist cop. But that's the thing. He might not even be completely racist. Hmm. I think – It might be more of a show. He is frustrated and chooses to take it out on people in a very specific way that he knows will hurt. Mm-hmm. That I think I, is a function of – his performance, I think it could have been – I think written it could have gone either way. You could have played him as just completely racist. But I think Matt Damon uh, – sorry, Matt Dillon is – first off, I think it was an interesting casting choice. Um, and mm-hmm. I think he I think he uh, rose to that challenge and I, and I like his performance quite a bit, especially in my favorite scene of the film. Uh, after he has uh, basically like – I guess you could say sexually assaulted uh, a woman that he had pulled over. Uh, later on in the film, she has been in a terrible car accident and she is – the car is upside down. She's in it crying and he's the first on the scene and so he goes in to help. She sees who it is. He sees that she sees who it is and there's just this understanding before she starts screaming, which he does. There's this look of like, oh no, especially on his point on his face where he realizes like he's doing what he was, what he wanted to do as a cop, which is help people. And now he realizes that because of his actions, he's not being allowed to do that because he's hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. And it's a really nice moment between the two of them. And then she's fighting him and then he yells, I'm not going to hurt you. And it's a really – it's a wonderful moment. I love the way he says it. I love the way he then pulls her out. And there's a moment – it's maybe my favorite moment in the entire film, even within this scene, where the car is on fire. It's going to blow up and he's trying to get her out and it's just not happening. And so the other cops like pull him out and she's not with him and he – will not let that happen. And so he scrambles and claws his way back into the car because he's not getting out of there without her. And so he finally gets her and pulls her out. And it's that little scramble that, because that is the scramble of a man wanting redemption. Mm. And there's so much, there's so much laden in that scene and in that move, uh, that like, I feel, and it's well, and there's great music happening there and it's a very well edited, uh, scene and sequence that I think uh, it's just tremendously powerful, at, at least for me. And I feel like I feel like a person can't necessarily argue with good filmmaking. And it should be noted that the film's biggest problem is its script, and that scene doesn't have a lot of dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's that. But, um, but that's the thing. Scenes like that and characters like Matt Dillon and performances like Matt Dillon are what keep me from hating this film. And keep me from being saying it's completely irredeemable. There are good things in it. So, so I wanted to be positive. Uh, is there are there any things that you that you like about the film? Um, I think I think there's some good acting in it. Um, I think there are moments that. I mean, I should say there are moments that the film does what it's trying to do. So you got to give it credit for that. Like there are moments that are meant to be um, emotionally, uh, you know, fulfilling. Mm -hmm. 
And I think those moments do that. I think there's that one. Um, I think there's the moments, uh, the, the whatever climax moment with Daniel Pena and his, wait, Daniel? Michael Pena. Michael. Why did I say Daniel? Um, Michael Pena and his, and his daughter in the movie. That's one of those moments that you're like, oh. What was that? Well, you're like, oh. oh okay. The character's name is Daniel, by the way. That's why so that's I must have been just been looking at it in the notes. Yeah. And um, even, and even the scene, yeah, that climactic scene with his daughter, like even that is like contrived and silly. Yeah. But the emotion is there and that's the thing. it sells it. Right. You know? And, and so, so I can give it that it's doing that, but because of the type of film viewer that I am, I see it as being contrived and right. then as, uh, silly and unbelievable. And then I'm not, that takes me back out of it. It's, it's a weird thing. You notice sometimes. You notice it sometimes when you're watching a movie that has a very good score or a very like moving score. Mm-hmm. You can be watching something that you're like, "This is not this." Th- the actual content here does not have a lot of emotional resonance, but because of the music playing the way it is at the moment, it is yeah. you're feeling an emotional reaction. And you almost get angry at the movie sometimes. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's happened in some. Uh, I feel like that's happened in animated movies sometimes. Sometimes I, I feel like uh, the most recent uh, with the Hobbit films for me, like yeah. music is very good. And there are moments where the film is very good, mm. but there are moments where I f- feel myself getting emotionally invested, but not because of the characters, not because of the writing, not because yeah. of the filmmaking, but because the music <laughs> has that swell. And I'm like, yeah. hey, wait a second. You're yeah. trying to trick me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I feel like that's the way that I felt for a lot of crash, not just, just with the music. I feel mm-hmm. like there's a lot where the movie's just trying to trick you. <laughs> yeah. It's a movie, you know, and you could do worse than what I'm about to say, provided you do it the right way, which I don't think it necessarily does. It's a movie that feels and doesn't think mm. it's a movie. Yeah. that's mostly about emotions. Yeah. And then at times it tries to think it tries to say like, in fact, it tries to make you think. And what does it make you think about? Hey, we're all racist, man. Now, while I may agree with that to a certain extent, uh, specifically the idea, it's like, it's like, well, everybody has prejudices against everybody else. I agree with that. But at the same time, like, it's, you need a whole movie for this. It's the simplest, most dumbed down approach to racism. And the fact that we applaud this as an important film or something like that is that that's one of the things that frustrates me most about this film. Yeah. It's such a heavy handed and, uh, such, such a, I feel like it's such a meaningless approach to racism. Yeah. Uh, There's no substance to what it actually has to say about racism. Um, people have pointed out that it's, coming from a white guy yeah and i think in our the episode where we talked about it we compared and contrasted it with do the right thing which has a lot of um, that that is what we yes. was the companion right yeah yes. which especially watching that movie again you're like this is a great movie about racism yeah. it's hard to watch there's yeah. a lot of conflict in yeah. it not not it's infuriating to watch sometimes yeah and frankly that's as it should be right and the whereas crash i feel like is just given given the people what they want but yeah. kind of making you think <laughs> it, it's again it's making you think that it's doing something that i think it's really not it's like a magician doing a trick like there's nothing really there um but it's making you think that you're being thoughtful about racism yeah. it's making you think that that you're uh you, it, that it's discussing an issue 
Yeah, and it's this is going to sound a little conceptual. It's a movie that is interested in saying makes you think instead of actually, actually making, making you, you think. think. Yeah, because if you were actually if it actually made you think, you'd just be thinking. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. Like as you are exiting the theater, and that's the thing. When I saw the film originally, I liked it, and I and I had that thought of like. It's like, well, you know, it seems to be about this thing and, you know, that's kind of a controversial idea that that everybody can be prejudiced against everybody else. And that idea was kind of, was a relatively new one for me. I was just out of college and, you know, and I was young and in my experience, like there are only – only these people, you know, are racist and nobody else is. And so like – so that idea was like, oh, interesting. I realized not long after that, well, I was done talking about the movie before I even got to my car because the, because the conversation was over. It was yeah. everybody's prejudice. Now what do I do? Because what, ultimately what it does is like when you're being a little bit prejudiced to somebody – it's all, it could, it could almost let you off the hook by saying, like, yes, yes, but everybody, that's is. the way people are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just being like everybody else. Hey, everybody's sin is nobody's sin. Am I right? <laughs> and so, um, so it, it has that quality to it. And yeah. so, um, so yeah, it wasn't, lo- so that was a movie that I really liked for a while that year. And then it quickly fell down my list yeah. to be replaced by a much, much better film. Cause it was a pretty early release actually. Yeah. It was the spring. Yeah. And I, I remember seeing it on DVD in the late summer, I think. Uh, that's about right. Yes. I was working at a video store. We got a whole wall of it and I will be honest with you. It flew off the shelves. Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely a crowd pleaser. It's yeah. a, it's a popcorn movie. It's got, it's got a lot of the, it's got a lot of the trappings of a, good movie without a lot of the yeah. substance. Well, and here's something, cause you mentioned, okay, it's directed by a white guy and it has these, you know, these points to make, um, written and directed by a white written guy. and dir- Yes. Uh, I, where I was working at the time, I was working at a blockbuster in Chicago and a, in a pretty high, uh, ratio of our, uh, customer base were African Americans. And I wish I had thought in the moment to ask, what do you what think? Did, what did you think this? of this movie? Yeah, you know, and they might they might have said I liked it. You know, um, maybe they didn't feel offended at all. But like, I, I'd be interested as opposed to something like a Do the Right Thing, which yeah. I think have you know I'm I'm not black, uh, so I can't speak to what it must be like to be black in America. But I, you watch Do the Right Thing, it's like, well, I feel like this must be it, especially living <laughs> in a, in, a, in a city or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So um so yeah, I did have that that thought is like what it's like. Well, we're certainly getting the white white guy perspective, which is what I have. I'd be fascinated to know what other people think yeah. uh, of other of other races and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are who, who's who are of a race that historically has been a terrible victim of of other people's racism. Mm-hmm. So, um, so your big issue, and we've been talking about it a little bit. Your big issue, as as is mine, is the script. Yeah, I think almost everything that I dislike about it is on a script level. And it's been a little while since I've seen it, so there might be some directing stuff that that is probably consistent with the tone of the script. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine there is some stuff like that in it that I don't like so much as well. Um, well, and it's that's the thing. It's written 
it was co-written by Paul Haggis, but he wrote and directed it. And so it stands to reason that he would direct to the script. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the film did win best picture, original screenplay and editing. And oddly enough, I'm kind of okay with the editing one. I think it is a well edited film, uh, for the most part. I think the, uh, the, uh, an ensemble film, can always can, can be a hard thing to put together, and I think yeah. I think they keep it going. One thing that I think you and I mentioned in the uh, in our episode is that uh, apparently it takes place over twenty four hours. I never got the sense of that ever. Yeah. Uh, first off, it doesn't need to, and secondly, it's like, are you kidding me? Do you realize how much stuff you've packed <laughs> into your script? It's it's insane. Um, but yeah, and so uh, while I certainly don't think it should have won Best Picture, and we'll talk in a moment about screenplay. Um, I'm kind of okay with editing. Um, because I think that is, that is one, you know, one achievement in, of the film in which it's like, all right, that's it. It very much accomplished what it was trying to do. And in doing so, actually, I think kind of fooled people into thinking it was accomplishing things in other areas as well, specifically screenwriting. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so okay, let's let's get into screenplay, and we'll move into uh, best picture in a moment. The other nominees were Good Night and Good Luck, Match Point, The Squid and the Whale, and Syriana. Now that is not, as far as just a group of screenplays, that is not a very dense field. Um, Syriana is a fine script. It's not great. There's a lot of complexity to it, and there and it's covering a lot of ground. But as a script, it's not remar- as a as a written thing. It's not actually that engaging for me. Um, Match Point, written by Woody Allen, is written in a like in a very cold and clinical way that I, that he doesn't usually do. Mm-hmm. But the story itself is very similar to one that he did in uh, Crimes, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Yeah, it's uh, I saw it several years after having seen crimes and misdemeanors, which is, I'm glad was the case. If you haven't seen both of those somehow, make sure you see crimes and misdemeanors first. Otherwise, when you see it later, yeah. you're going to be like, wait a minute. Did, didn't he do this in match point? Like, yeah. Uh, didn't he do it in match point with much more attractive people? <laughs> um, British know, not, people. Yeah, He's saying something about the U S I think. Probably. Woody Allen. <laughs> Anyway, so I'm going to take you out to the woodshed. Um, but uh, it's still a good script, and it's still, it's yeah, still a movie I, I so. like. Yeah. Um, but uh, okay, so Good Night and Good Luck is a movie that I really, really love and really responded to. Yeah, and, me too. Uh, I remember at the time, and I, and I repeated it to Josh before we started recording, um, it uses a lot of archival footage, which from a writing standpoint, people might say, oh, well. You, you didn't know, write the stuff that McCarthy said. The, right. <laughs> Uh, but of course, that's still a choice. They right. still chose to incorporate that. That is a yeah. screenwriting and a directing decision. Right. And chose to incorporate it in the places that they did. Right. And so I feel like it's a very – I think it's very well written mm-hmm. uh, in that choice but also elsewhere. Uh, and then we come to The Squid and the Whale written by Noah Baumbach, Josh's favorite filmmaker of all time. The greatest filmmaker of all time. Sorry. And the greatest filmmaker of all time. <laughs> I apologize. Uh I love Squid and the Whale, and I think it is brilliantly written. It's everything a script needs to be, I think, Mm. Um, in that, like, just the way it's – you know, some scripts, like, the story is only so-so, but the dialogue is amazing. Or the characters are really solid, and their dialogue is only okay, but Mm -hmm. the story is not that great. 
this has I mean, it's not much of a story except it is a very human story and it gets yeah. those beats right and it takes and it's so specific to these characters yeah and while it, also addressing a general thing partially because i think it's very personal I, right and the stuff that i understand about it is that it a lot of it has come from his own life mm-hmm. um if not the direct story beats a lot of the kind of general things and the 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 parents feel very real and i think that's because they're probably similar to his real life parents yeah um but yeah i i think what that makes for is very interesting characters that um it, it's weird because it's almost like they're a type without being a type you know mm-hmm. like it, it almost seems like they could just be archetypes like this, this New York intellectual type, Yeah. but there's something more to them than that. And, uh, I feel like I really like a, a sadness, especially in both of the parent characters that they, they are this type. They are New York intellectuals. They're professors mm-hmm. yet. They feel like they're supposed to hold up to something and they're never really that thing. Right. It's, it's even though, on the surface, they have achieved the thing that they think makes them important people and makes them worthwhile people in their own lives. They still don't feel like they've achieved that and they're still trying to achieve that. And they, and they're always unhappy. Right. And it's, yeah. And that, and it speaks, you know, volumes about, uh, something you and I and some friends were just talking about, about like the nature of ambition and like why we, are ambitious and like the goals that we have and what they say about us and like what happens if we don't achieve them what happens if we do achieve them is that going to be enough and so right. there's a there's a lot going on i i absolutely agree with you i think it's very personal mm. to him both with his family but also maybe just who he maybe sees himself as and is exploring things within himself and his own career and his own relationship yeah uh yeah it's just there's so much going on with that film and with that script that yeah certainly crash you know, and crash as we said already. Like, while I am always, while I applaud anybody who attempts to tell a, a large ensemble story, um, and is able to weave characters in and out of each other's lives, it's like, all right, it it accomplishes that. But you know, so many, so much of the dialogue is just declarative statements, yeah, and not in the way that I enjoy, like in a in a Wes Anderson film, you know, <laughs> um, and it's just. It, it's just cliches. It's just so much. And there's yeah. a, there's a scene I remember. Uh, I forget who who was talking about this, but ever since they they mentioned it, I, I couldn't help but think of it. Uh, there are a couple of characters played by uh, Ludacris and Lawrence Tate, and when we first see them, uh, so it's two young black men, and they're walking along in I think probably like in Santa Monica, I think, or or maybe I don't know in in a relatively uh, well off neighborhood. And they're walking along and they're talking about uh, the stereotype of young black men and that sort of thing. And it's a very – it's an overly articulate conversation one could say for – I would say the types of characters these are, but of course we don't know who they are. But it, and yet their dialogue still rings false. So I think, yeah. I, I think it's a certain type of liter, of hyper literate dialogue for any character ever, especially the way it ends. Yeah, it, know, it ends with them revealing, like them denouncing the stereotype, and then basically saying like, "Oh well, we are this stereotype," and doing it in a really clever way. And it, yeah, quotes around clever, obviously. It's it's like a yeah. It's almost like a a cheap political cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it has that kind of vibe to it. And I feel like 
both the choice of that type of character to have that hyper-literate dialogue does not make sense, and the casting, I don't feel like, really makes sense. Like, I, I don't know that I would say that Ludacris is a bad actor, Yeah, but... I like Lawrence Tate. I, I've liked him in everything I've seen. Yeah. I believe he was in uh, Menace to Society, which I love. Okay. Um, but, uh, but it takes, I feel like it takes a certain type of actor to be able to deliver that type of dialogue. Yeah. And I, I don't think Ludacris is that type of actor. I and mean, it, imagine if they put Ludacris in like a, like a Witt Stillman film or something like that. Like hmm. it would be ridiculous. Yeah. And I feel like this is kind of what it feels like. It feels like, uh, trying to be that again. Also, I feel like the dialogue in this scene is not consistent with the rest of the movie, not consistent with that character for the rest of the movie, no. not consistent with anybody in the rest of the movie. So it sounds like it's from a different movie. And I think it's because they're just trying to play this little clever joke in this in this moment instead of think about what this character is really like, how it affects the rest of the movie or any of that stuff. That character does turn out to be something of a comedic presence in the film. And so and I think elsewhere in the film, Ludacris pulls that off pretty well, uh, actually. But yeah, but it's just it's this. And also think about it. You know, I, I really I guess the film is about race, and so if I were to say something is inherently racist, <laughs> I think it's okay. But you basically have a white guy writing two black guys who are talking about stereotypes and then fulfill it, thus making the argument. It's like, hey, sometimes stereotypes exist for a reason. It's like you have a white uh, – a, a probably a wealthy white guy saying that. Yeah. Especially about young black men being dangerous and carrying guns. And it's like – what are you doing? <laughs> How on earth are you allowed to do this? Much less yeah. get Oscars for it. I'm, I mean, I feel like it, I would raise my eyebrows at it even if Spike Lee were to make that joke. Sure. But I feel like he he maybe is the type of person who is in a position to make that joke a little more legitimately. Yeah. Like, I still might not like it then, but I feel like it might be more legitimate. At least then it, it seems as though he is... He's doing like what Chris Rock does or what anybody does who kind of becomes a, a symbol of their group, which is, yeah, just because I'm a symbol of this group doesn't mean I think the group is perfect and here's some of the issues I have with it. Like I don't like to say this very much because I feel like there's a, a political correct quality to it. But what I will say is that like some people are allowed to make certain types of statements about their about a group and it's the people within that group and and can think – uh, sensitively about what that might mean. Mm-hmm. Paul Haggis is not a member of that group economically or racially. No. And so like it just – yeah. So like that scene is an example of like one of, of like the things that are wrong with the script. It doesn't fit for the character. It explores its theme in a way that actually I think is counter to the theme. Yeah. And – and it just seems like a fun writer, like like the kind of scene you would write in high school to show how clever you are. I, I have been thinking throughout as we're talking about this. Maybe this is something that I said when we did the full episode, but it almost feels like like you asked a high school senior to write a movie, uh, an, an Oscar-type movie about racism. Yeah. And that's what you get. Oh, yeah. I mean, in high school, I wrote a script about alcoholism. Had I ever had a drink? I had not. Uh and it was just based entirely on movies I had seen about alcoholism. Now, admittedly, most high schoolers haven't seen The Lost Weekend. True. So I was in, I was influenced by that. And there are things that I was proud of within that script for a high schooler. I look back on it now and I cringe. I wrote a script in high school about political corruption. What do I know about political <laughs> corruption? Literally nothing. Uh, and so um, – but I had character types and so like everything was very broad and that kind of thing. Like my political corruption script – felt a lot like Paul Haggis's 
racism script. Yeah. I was 16 and 17. He is a grown man. Yeah. And it just, it's, you know, and I feel bad just like bashing something as thoroughly as I did, but I, I specify like there are things that still work for me, uh, inherently just as a function of filmmaking, not necessarily as a function of writing. And so, yeah, it's just a, it's just a, a very frustrating film and we do need to move on. We need to wrap up. So, uh, so we've talked about screenplay. Let's look at some of the movies that were nominated for best picture, uh, alongside crash Brokeback mountain, which everybody assumed would win best picture. That's what won, I thought would win. Yeah, me too. It won director and adapted screenplay and cinematography. Like both of those movies won three major Oscars, including a screenplay Oscar. Mm. And so, uh, so yeah, that, that year was kind of split between the two. So Brokeback mountain Capote, Good Night and Good Luck, and Munich. Now, any of those, like, I don't think Brokeback Mountain's a perfect film. I think it's beautiful. I think it's gorgeous to look at. I love Ang Lee as a director. Mm-hmm. I think he's a, I think he has such a strong visual sense. Um, but I think it's like, I think it's small and nuanced. I think there's wonderful performances. I think there's complexity there to a certain extent. So, like, I don't think that's a perfect film, but it's miles away. Like, it's, it's, yeah leaps and bounds ahead of crash. Yeah. Capote, I think is a very well written, beautifully acted on everybody's part. Uh, I, I think the choices of the director are interesting in that, like it's very stark and very earth tones, which given the fact that you're telling a story about the most flamboyant man in the world, that's an odd choice. choice. Yeah. And one that I'm not sure I agree with, even though I found the film to be very powerful. So even that's not a perfect film, Leaps and bounds ahead of Crash, yeah. especially in its in the way it handles character. Mm-hmm. Good night and good luck. You know that's a, that's a film that I don't think is necessarily perfect either, per, especially because its its main character doesn't have an arc. He starts right and he ends right. Yeah, which is you know that's true. Uh, which is uh, Edward Murrow. Wonderful performance. Wonderful performances all around. Um, but it winds up just being more of a. It's almost like a like a like a narrative documentary with actors um, about this era mm-hmm. in the context of this one thing, but it does it very effectively. I was fascinated by every frame. Yeah. So even that, not a perfect film, miles miles ahead. Mm-hmm. Munich, I think you're not a huge fan of Munich. Are you? I'm not a huge fan of Munich, but I'll say I like it more than Crash. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love Munich. I think it is in my top. Certainly my top five of Spielberg, maybe even my top three. Uh, I think it is a, a remarkable achievement, because, especially because he is working within a, a, a thriller type genre and in doing so explores the, you know, Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And then even lar- like just larger than that, just the nature of human conflict and just the idea of the way that violence just perpetuates itself over and over again. And the way that that coincides with and the, the way that that theme does not undercut the thriller aspect or the thriller aspect undercut that theme is to me an astounding uh, achievement. So – but I don't think that's nece- – I don't think that's necessarily a perfect film either, especially because from a script standpoint, there are moments here and there where it's just like, OK, I, you made a jump in – made a jump of like a year and I feel like I, I don't totally know what's going on mm. and – now you just killed off this character and I, I, and there's no explanation. I don't think a movie needs to explain everything, but I feel like I need to, especially in a thriller, I need to have some basic understanding of what's happening. So none of these are perfect films Mm -hmm. for my money. I think Munich comes the closest, but that's me. Um, 
but they are so far ahead of Crash, and certainly Brokeback Mountain had the best chance to win. Mm-hmm. But it, it it just astounds me. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of theories as to why Crash won. One is that it has such a huge ensemble of actors, and actors are the largest voting block in the academy and so Hmm. everybody probably had a friend that was in it and so like (laughs) let's vote for it for that reason yeah that's true and so it has a large ensemble but most of these other movies have a pretty big ensemble too yeah um but but yeah and just but it's it's also a feel-good movie that's that appears to tackle major issues it feels like a best picture to a certain extent yeah and i wonder if there was some backlash too from brokeback mountain just being too controversial for some people I guess so, but I feel like it was pretty widely accepted. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it was in the in the press and and that sort of thing. But I could see voters being there being some voters that were uncomfortable with it that might have otherwise voted for it. Maybe I don't know. I I can't. I, I, it seems like a remarkably. I mean, it's about you know two gay. You know, it's quote unquote the gay cowboy movie, but mm-hmm. it's about like these two guys at a time when this was not a, a socially acceptable thing and you know, the struggles that they go through and the things that happen to their families as a result. Like, Mm -hmm. but you know, but for what it's exploring, it's remarkably tame. Yeah. I think I, I I don't know. I can't imagine it being controversial and maybe they just decided as sometimes happens, it's like, all right, we'll split it up. We'll give, we'll give this director and we'll give this picture and everything will be fine. It's Mm -hmm. like, like, Brokeback Mountain's clearly the better picture, but there's more people in Crash, so we'll make <laughs> them happy, and then we'll give Brokeback Mountain its due. And so, um, so yeah, uh, my favorite movie of 2005 was David Cronenberg's A History of Violence. It's not the type of movie that gets nominated for Oscars. It was nominated for two, for Adapted Screenplay and Supporting Actor for William Hurt. Mm. Uh, I think it should have been nominated for Best Director. I think it's a directorial achievement and an editing achievement. And I think it's uh, some beautiful cinematography as well. Mm. But, um, but, uh, you know, at this point I, I have no, I have no illusions about the nature of the Academy and yeah. the type of movies <laughs> that get nominated. So well, I had no expectation. And I felt the same way about squid and the whale. That was my favorite of the year, I yeah. think. But see that I think it's more frustrating because it did get one of the nominations that I thought was one of the strongest parts of it, yeah. which was the script. And then to see it lose to this clumsy, bad script i felt like was i think more frustrating yeah so um so yeah i obviously we don't like crash if you would like to hear a more in-depth discussion of this its themes and how it could have been done better uh you can go and find our actual episode Mm -hmm. but uh but we're gonna go ahead and end this you know how to you know how to find us uh on the website and through email and twitter and all that so uh so we'll just go ahead and say goodbye josh thanks for being here you're welcome thank you guys for listening we'll get you next time bye